This is your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 249 with guest Christine Gutierrez. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This has been a long-awaited episode. I have been holding on to this interview for many months, just so excited to share it with you. I interviewed Christine, I think in the beginning of the summer. I knew I had to have her on the podcast, and I am so glad to be able to share her wisdom with you. Before we get started, let me share a little bit about Christine. Christine Gutierrez, LMHC, is a leading Latina psychotherapist with a master's in human behavior and development, focusing on prevention and community from City College of New York. In addition, she is an advice columnist, speaker, author, poet, and founder of Christine GTV, an online hub that features psychology savvy and soulful advice, articles, videos, private consultations, workshops, retreats, radio appearances, and television projects. So without further ado, here is Christine. Christine, thank you so much for being here. So excited to be here. I am really looking forward to this conversation because it's been on my mind a lot. And I I would love to jump in to a conversation about love addiction, because I know that's something that you specialize in. My listeners, if they've been listening for any length of time, they know that I personally have struggled with it. I've touched on it a little bit in some episodes, but I've really yet to have somebody on who does this in their body of work. And so you, you, you have a course actually on healing from love addiction. So what has been, I'm curious about what has been your own experience with it and how did you heal? And then if you want to get into what you actually do, I'd love to hear about that too. Yeah. I think that it's much more common for people to talk about addiction and think immediately drugs or alcohol. Right. And what's far less common is to think about your addiction being to an actual person Mm -hmm. and whether that person be someone that's a toxic person, which is something that I uh, mostly specialize in and that most women would come to me. And it can also be someone that it's not necessarily toxic, but it's just not right for you. Mm -hmm. And what any addiction does is that you have a compulsive reaction to using that substance or using that drug or connecting to that person, despite the negative impact that it has in your life. And it always affects your life. So Mm -hmm. it'll affect your mental state, your emotional state, your schedule. So one of the things that I give as an example is that a woman that's often, you know, texting someone compulsively, knowing that the person is dangerous for their spirit Mm -hmm. or texting someone compulsively waiting for that response, going insane, their mind is consumed by them, their actions, they're hanging out with their girlfriends, but all they can think about is texting that person. They go to unreasonable lengths to see that person. And the reason, um, you know, going back to the original question, why I was so passionate about that was because my early childhood abuse, verbal and um, physical and emotional led me to not understanding what a healthy concept of love was. And so I replicated that early pattern by getting up and getting in effed up relationships Mm -hmm. and um, having 
unhealthy attachments to these people. And so when I noticed, you know, why is it that my mind knows that this relationship isn't good, but my actions are still doing it. I, I knew little by little that I had a problem and, you know, I, I, I went to therapy, I got help and, and as I healed through this problem, I realized, you know, this is something that happens to many people that are survivors of any kind of abuse. And those early attachments are not created or formed in a healthy way where there's safety. And therefore that clinging becomes that unhealthy attachment, that anxious attachment. That's interesting. Okay. I have two questions. So I probably should jot down the second one before I forget. (laughs) You mentioned that you had, you know, early childhood abuse and I've also struggled with, with love addiction, but my childhood looked different. And I think I can sort of pinpoint and connect the dots why mine came up and Mm -hmm. my childhood was, we just, there was a lot of love. We, We just didn't talk about hard stuff. There was no emotional boundaries. There was no vulnerability. I didn't know how to do any of that. And Mm. also there was, you know, like I was very close to my father. And then once I hit like that 13, 14 tipping point into teen, teenagerhood, um, we weren't close anymore at all. And so there was that sort of loss. And so I immediately turned to boys. Yeah, and, that rejection, and, that right, comfortability needed, that he probably had with your sexuality. I got that from boys, what I was then missing from my dad. So I can, that's what I, but there was no abuse for me. I think my question is, here's where I'm still confused <laughs> after my mm-hmm. own long therapy of love addiction and reading several books on the topic. What is the difference between, because I, I feel like there's this fine line because when we fall in love with someone, when it's genuine, healthy, blissful, beautiful love, our brains kind of go crazy a little bit and you're thinking yes. about that person all the time. And that's what being in love is like. So what's the distinction between healthy, regular, good old fashioned falling in love and going off the deep end into love addiction? That's a great question. Yes. So obviously um, there's many different aspects to it. Hugging, kissing, sex. There's all these endorphins that are released that on a chemical level is very similar to that hit that one would get on a high Mm -hmm. from alcohol or drugs, let's say for, for example. I mean, obviously it has different consequences on the brain depending on the drug and the alcohol, but on a basic level, it does give you that high, right? So it's healthy and normal, let's say for lack of a better word, for someone to still have those experiences of thinking about someone and it feels nice to think about that person, you're overwhelmed with happy thoughts. You you just started dating. You want to be with them all the time. You, yeah, you, there's mm-hmm. a natural sort of desire to enmesh in the beginning, right? Like you want that feeling of. But the difference is that there's more of a healthy individuality around it. And so, for example, if you are desiring to see that person, it's not a feeling that feels compulsive. And like, if you don't get it, you will die. Mm -hmm. That's the feeling that we get when we're, you know, suffering from these things. And codependency is something that lives very closely to love addiction, which is also not, you know, meeting someone and then placing their needs above your own and continuously trying to people please as part of it. There's, there's many different um, symptoms, but very often codependency comes hand in hand with love addiction. So it's that feeling of, if I don't get this right now, I will die and I'll Mm -hmm. do this at all costs. And it impacts negative, it 
negatively impacts your daily functioning when you have love addiction. Yes. I can see that one of the symptoms would be, I'm thinking of a relationship that I had where it was classic love addiction symptoms. And so I'll give an example that might help the listeners. So I, in the beginning of this relationship, and it was classic falling in love, and it was a red flag when the person I was dating on the second date, he told me that he could see himself marrying me and having children with me. And I was like, hook, line, and sinker. That's exactly what I needed to hear. So that's, you know, one, a number one classic love addiction behavior on both of our parts. And then the second one was there was this flag football team, this women's flag football team that had started near actually where he was living. And I really wanted to join and I went out and bought cleats and everything. And I was so excited about this. And they had, you know, early Saturday morning practices. And I remember I was getting up to go and he begged me to stay in bed and I ended up quitting and not going this thing that I really wanted to do that was important Mm. to me. So it was this loss of autonomy. And I think that that's what you're saying, right? Like I I was willing to sacrifice what I wanted for him. Absolutely. And that, that is very typical of codependency as well, right? Like you place your needs to the side because someone else desires something more. Mm -hmm. And so you exchange your desire for their desire. And one thing that's important for the listeners to know is that it does look different in every case, right? Like you might actually meet a person and, you know, you hear these stories and there's different forms of love and different stories of love. And I think for someone that had no concept of love, or in your case had a concept of love, but it drastically switched when you were a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. Creating some sort of form of abandonment. It was classic daddy issues. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's different, there's different forms of it. It looks different. And Mm -hmm. I think that the major thing is, you know, many women are trained to place their needs aside in many ways. And when we get into a relationship, it's important that we start to notice the patterns. If you are noticing that you're noticing habits of codependency or love addiction, that we realize where am I placing my needs to the side? Mm-hmm. How is this impacting my daily functioning, my mental state, my emotional state, my spiritual state, my lifestyle state, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're not going to do your things, that was a very classic, classic thing that I remember doing, um, placing my needs aside. And for me, that was more of the codependency leading into that addiction. And I remember having bottom line behaviors as a helpful tool, which was something like no matter what you don't cancel something and you do your thing. Yeah. So that means you show up for your things. That means if your self-care means going to therapy, that means you get your butt to therapy. Mm-hmm. If your self-care is going to the gym, that you really establish those healthy boundaries in the beginning so that it becomes easier to be two healthy, full people to the best of our ability within that relationship. Yeah. So for people listening, if, if look for those red flags in your own life, if you're doing those, I remember canceling a dentist appointment that I really needed to go to because for some reason, you know, he wanted me to do something else. I didn't, I, I missed out on an opportunity to go to Australia. I, um, there was something else too. There was just, it was, oh, canceled on my friends, canceled on my family. That's what really pissed me off at the end that I canceled on my family because of his, bullshit and everything. And okay. So I know that this is like a huge question, but can you kind of give us some snippets of the types of things or exercises or tools that you work on with women who is struggling in that area? Yeah. So the first thing, like in anything is 
bringing to awareness these things before we even know that this is a thing. You know, we know about alcoholism, but we don't know about love addiction or we don't know about, you know, unhealthy attachments and and codependency. Maybe you heard of it, but you didn't really accept that that's a real thing that people struggle with. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to know that you're not alone in that and that there's actually other people that because of their life experience or because of their brain chemistry has allowed them to be that way too. So the first thing is accepting and knowing what are the patterns that are currently going on in your relationships and just taking a really honest assessment of it yourself and asking yourself in, you know, inquiring, how am I responding to this person? Whether you're dating for one year, maybe it's a marriage that's Mm -hmm. very codependent codependent. So thinking about where you are in terms of your relationship, is it healthy? Um, you know, characteristics of codependency, having an exaggerated sense of needing to take care of the actions of others, um, you know, getting hurt and feeling a sense of guilt when people are asserting themselves, needing to control others, you know, fear of abandonment. And again, I believe that many of these characteristics lead us to then clinging more. And that's where the addiction piece really settles in. So, you know, recognizing, am I doing any of these things? Am I, am I participating? Do I feel compulsive when it comes to love? So that would be number one. Number two would be getting a trained therapist to help you through those things. I work as a licensed psychotherapist. I also combine mindfulness techniques with modern therapy. And so much of the work that I do is about really making it a grounded approach to understanding these things and then actually being able to say, okay, I have someone walking me through them. So when I get a hit of texting that person, I have someone there to to go to, which would be me or a trained guide so that you can interrupt that pattern. You know, mm-hmm. it's all about placing a space between you and your compulsive behavior. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, admitting you have a problem is the first step, really admitting it and then being able to get help for it. Right. And also, you know, if you're spiritual, adding that spiritual piece, if you are not spiritual, it's okay too. There's healing for everyone. And then I would say the last thing is, you know, write a list of the things and the ways that you would want to be. You know, sometimes we, many people that are in tough situations are in such a difficult spot that they can't usually bring their brain to see what is it that I actually want to experience out of a healthy relationship? Like, is there a part of me that actually knows what is healthy? You know, I call that part of you, the soul space. I think some people don't. I mean, I, when I came out of two back-to-back codependent love addicted relationships, I didn't even know what (laughs) Like, who am I? I didn't. And my therapist pointed it out and she was like, Andrea, I don't think you've trusted anyone since you were 13. And she was right. And it was sort of a huge eye opener. Like, I didn't know what trust felt like or looked like in a, you know, on a relationship level and what healthy boundaries were, whether they were emotional or any other kind of boundary. It was all, I had to first unlearn all of the things that I had become masterful at, which were, were um, dysfunctional. And then relearn new things, which I'm still doing. 43 years old, been married for 10 years and still learning. Yeah. I think, you know, I always ask people when I, the first session that I work with them, what do you know to be true? And if you could really guess 
right? What do you know to be true? And oftentimes people say, I don't know. And then I encourage them to dive a little deeper. And usually they say, I know that there's something about this that that isn't right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if they're asking for help, it's because a part of them knows and it's their instinctual nature to survive that knows. And, you know, whether you call that the soul voice, whether you call that your gut, it is a part of you that is instinctually designed to survive. And that means emotionally as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that part of us is there and asking that part of us, you know, what is it that I want? I may not know what that looks like. I may not know, but maybe it's just like, I want to not hurt. Exactly. I want to know that I want to wake up in the morning and do what I have to do despite what someone else wants to do. I want to know that I can take care of myself and that there's not a feeling of dread when I separate from this person. I remember that awful feeling of dread separating and, you know, I'm in a loving, healthy relationship and I don't feel that feeling of dread when Mm -hmm. I separate. I feel joy. I feel safety. And, you know, that's the key word is reestablishing and learning safety and therapy. If you have a good uh, trained therapist, they're going to help you create that space of safety so that you can internalize it and kind of reconstruct your inner world and your inner triggers so that there's more of a response time between you and that reactive behavior, you know, whether yes. it's, you know, acting out or cleaning more or canceling things because of someone else. And so these are not easy things to do, but they're worth it. Um, yeah. And on the other side of it lives healthy safety, lives peace, lives a moment where you feel like you can be fully yourself and live side by side someone without desperately clinging to someone. And that is a liberation from shackles, just Mm -hmm. like it feels to liberate yourself from any addiction. Um, You know, you went through it, I went through it. It really feels like you're shackled. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Hey there, ass kickers. I'm interrupting this conversation to give you a quick announcement. I wanted to let you know that on Monday, October 8th, I am opening registration for my next Daring Way retreat. It's going to be again in the beautiful mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. And this one is going to be even bigger and more badass than the last two I have hosted this year. So I am not going to announce it here on the podcast next week. I'm not going to announce it on social media. I'm not even going to announce it to my main list of subscribers. The only people that are going to get first chance to sign up for the 10 spots that I'm going to have open are those people that specifically are on what we call the interest list. So head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash retreat. That link is also in the show notes for you and sign up to be notified first on Monday the 8th at noon Eastern time. This does not obligate you to sign up. It just means that you are going to get first dibs to grab the link of the details page to see all the details of the retreat. And I know a lot of you have been long awaiting this day, so I cannot wait to read your application and hopefully get to squeeze you in May. Well, and your work in general is so intriguing to me because you incorporate sort of a fusion of things like meditation, breath work, um, psychology, and even priestess goddess philosophy. So can you explain your approach? And I'm, I'm really interested in how you got on that path. Like, did it start with one thing and then sort of morph into all of these other modalities? Yeah. So I, um, I just tell people I've always been interested in, always felt connected to the more, as I call it, you know, that, that space of higher realms or, you know, spirituality and knowing that there was a link between, for me personally, between that spiritual realm and 
healing people in this world, in the everyday mundane world. And so it's kind of that merging of the mundane with the divine. And for me, you know, what I actually found interesting was the study of the soul is a definition of psychology. It's not the study of the mind, it's the study of the soul. That's what it means. And so we have forgotten that in many cases in in the therapy field. And I really felt that when I was making an impact and helping people heal at faster rates, it was because we had some sort of element of spirituality, whether that was meditation, whether that was helping people to know that there's a part of them that knows things, that's wise, that's instinctual and um, primal, that there was healing that happened at faster rates. You know, originally I had worked as a family therapist. That was my um, full-time job and also my internship that I was required to do to, you know, graduate from my master's. And I worked as a family therapist with children that were abused and the parents that abused them. So neglect and abuse cases. And it wasn't working just talking. It just mm-hmm. wasn't working. There wasn't enough language and understanding of what was going on in order to create that sense of healing. I needed the quiet moments. I needed people to connect to their bodies again. One thing that I noticed that was missing was that if you've gone through trauma, it lives in your body yeah, and not just in your brain. And so there was a disconnect between that. So I started implementing very simple mindfulness techniques that were non-dogmatic, not belonging to any religion, just simple breathing Mm -hmm. and helping people touch their belly and inhale and exhale and touch their heart and inhale and exhale and to tell me what they notice in their body as sensations. And the breath allowed their nervous systems to calm down. It allowed them to reconnect to their bodies. And I noticed that this was really working for people. This was working for the kids. It was working for the parents that were abusive and replaying those childhood patterns of abuse very often. That was really when I started to understand that there was something to this. And I started to research and I started to look at the statistics and, and the different techniques that were going on, but that weren't really being implemented into your everyday therapy practice. And I became obsessed with like this journey of, you know, self-discovery and self-healing and also then how I can use these tools that actually work with clients. And so I went on a journey myself. I got my master's in mental health counseling. I went to study meditation, breath work, and priestess training, which is about reconnecting to the divine feminine archetypes. So in Jungian psychotherapy, you have different archetypes that help the therapist to, to, to teach you, you know, there's, there's different archetypes. Some of them could be the virgin, the whore, the, what else, the mother, you know, there's Mm -hmm. just different types of archetypes. And so with the priestess training, the archetypes that we were interested in learning about were the feminine priestesses, the feminine goddesses in different religions, you know, Virgin Mary, Mary Magdalene, and really understanding about understanding how it affects us to not have these archetypes in our literature and to just know a little bit about them. And so instinctually, again, I didn't know this, but as a, as a child, I went, I was raised Catholic. I even went to Jesuit 
college. So mm-hmm. I was in school the entire time in, in Catholic school. And, um, one of the things I noticed from a very early age was where's all my girls at, Yeah, you know? And, <laughs> and I was mad and I was like, I actually went on a mini strike in my bedroom. I was like around nine, eight, nine years old. And, um, I said, you know, I'm not going to do the hour father anymore. I'm only going to do the hail Mary. And that was my way. <laughs> You're protesting. <laughs> my protest in my bedroom, but no one knew about. There was no participants in the protest, uh, minus me. But I, you know, it was my way to be yeah. like, F you. Uh-huh. I want more girls. That's I, awesome. I, there was something that felt wrong. And and I was able to do that. I was able to do that. And, it, it, you know, looking back at it, only did I know why I was doing that. I didn't know why I was doing that as a child. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, my priestess work was about reconnecting to the divine feminine within me and understanding our, our power and, and playing with those archetypes and allowing us to know, you know, how I can embody some of them that I was missing and using that again in my own personal journey you know, I, I use the word diosa, which is the Spanish word for goddess. Mm-hmm. And it's about embodying that divinity within ourselves. Um, not saying that we are God in the, you know, we are the all encompassing, but we, that we are a piece of the divine, yeah. that we are the divine. Mm-hmm. And so that work has definitely impacted, you know, my retreats, my one-on-one work, because it brings the ritual, it brings the soul, it brings back the primal nature of women, um, because that's who I primarily work with, back into their bodies, back into their spirits, so that they can know what does it feel like to be safe? What does it feel like to be healthy? And for me, I take people to that soul place so that they can remember, even if they didn't experience in in their everyday lives, or if they had a disconnect from it, like you did at a young age, that we can go always, 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 always go back to that space. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting to me. I love, I love every bit of it and that you've incorporated all of it and, and just, and it sounds like it was just so organic on your own path and listening to your own t- intuition and trusting what you knew to be true for people and then for women. And I think too, yes, women are, are yearning to be safe and, and also to be seen and heard. It, it, it sort of blows me away that even just that simple thing to be seen and heard can really impact someone so much. Yeah. That's basically therapy. Yeah, it <laughs> It's is. like a safe space for you to be seen and heard. And you know, the ways that we haven't been depending on anything you've gone through and just as human beings, you know, I think that just as human beings, we really, we live alone in our mm-hmm. own little universes. And then we live with other little universes around us and learning to play in our own internal universe, understanding our internal landscape of how our mind works and how our triggers work and who are the characters that work and why they trigger us and, and getting to play those out and mm-hmm. reenact them and understanding the ones that don't feel good and the ones that do feel good and mm-hmm. allowing ourselves to, to go on that journey. Cause we all have it. And, yeah. you know, for me with understanding what worked for me, it was, you know, it's, everything is going to be different for every person, depending yeah. on where they grow up, how they grow up, you know, their culture, their, their ideas, their frameworks. But at the end of the day, whatever works that makes you feel healthy, mind, body, spirit. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I do. Well, you talk a lot too in your work about, and you you use a term called fierce love. So can you tell us in your words what that is and how we can experience, how the listeners can experience more of that in their lives? Yeah. So fierce love is for me that unshakable love. It's that unshakable self-love. It is 
that love that you feel deep in your bones from just being you. Um, I like to say that you don't need to do anything to be worthy or say anything to be worthy, but that you are born worthy and that worthiness is sown into each and every one of your cells. And so when we, when I say fierce love, it's walking women back home to that space that has always existed, that divine space, that space of doesn't matter what has happened to me or, you know, what experiences I've gone through. There's something stronger that always is in me and around me that protects me, mm-hmm. that makes me whole and safe. And breathing is a wonderful way to get there. Whatever type of meditation, prayer, you know, for me, prayer, um, if that word doesn't work for people, is just simply like a call out to the divine, to the universe, to your higher self, to a tree Mm -hmm. (laughs) saying, you know, help me, guide me, lead me, show me how I can be more in love with me. How can I come to being more whole within myself? Yeah, You know, it's about reconstructing and and the coming together of all those fragmented pieces. So that fierce love is, is, is that, and, you know, breathing and meditation and all the healing work that we talk about, you know, it's not just the tools, but it's the journey, right? Mm -hmm, Like those intricate moments of the journey that will bring you there. The, the you messing up because you didn't feel that you loved yourself and acting out again with someone that doesn't deserve your time Mm -hmm. and then getting back on the path of healing again. It's all those little moments that add up. Um, yes. To fierce love. Sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back. I, I right. love that, that you said that, you know, sometimes it's just a calling out to mother earth or whatever. When I pray or meditate or whatever you want to call it, I usually ask a question because I used to kind of make demands, you know, like mm-hmm. here's my list <laughs> of all the things I want. And I don't think that that's necessarily bad or wrong way to do it, but I have found the most growth and healing in my own life when I present an inquiry, you know, show me the way or what is it that I need to do to get, to stay on the path of my highest self? You know, how can I have more strength to, to go through obstacles, like things like that. And it kind of takes the pressure off. I feel like. (laughs) Absolutely. You surrender when you can release that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, wonderful question is, you know, help me to see the parts of me that I've been ignoring. Right. Help me to peel back the layers of the things that I haven't been. And, and again, whether you believe you're praying to God, source, divine angels, a tree or your higher self, there is an instinctual part of us that wants to survive. Mm -hmm. And that instinctual part of us, when we pray, we get in touch with it. Yeah. To survive and I think be better, you know, and that's why people are listening. (laughs) Yeah. Because you and and surviving is one part, but then enjoying the experience, right? Like once you get out of that stage of whatever it is you're struggling with, then the the next phase is like the enjoyment of just being right. The Mm -hmm. simple pleasures. And, and I think that that's so important for people to remember that we do this so that we can enjoy life. Yeah. Like, and be still and have peace. For sure. Yes. Well, and I also want to ask you about your nonprofit that you started in Puerto Rico for marginalized youth and, and communities. So tell us more about the nonprofit. I think it's called, it's called Therapy is Cool? Yes. Okay. I got it right. So and what is its mission? Therapy is Cool is all about 
breaking stigma and bringing resources, whether that's money in some cases or mindfulness, breath work, you know, education, tools for people to um, thrive mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and so we break stigmas around mental health. We provide resources, um, videos, um, workshops, and it's it's been something that's been my kind of, uh, that's my soul's work is, mm-hmm. you know, all the work that I'm doing is, you know, I make more so that I can give more, you know, recently after the storm in Puerto Rico, I use that cap of, okay, this is my philanthropy work. And I connected with another amazing woman, Nilma and Nilma black model. She actually still model mom of two. And we decided that we were going to come together because together is better than alone mm-hmm. and raise money. And we were able to raise so much money for Puerto Rico after the storm and continue to connect resources for people so that people that were affected by the storm, by Hurricane Maria, were able to get access to, you know, food and, you know, tarps and solar lights. And, and then in the second phase, sustainable agriculture. And, and then in the third phase, now we're going to be working on mental health because people, the suicide rates have gone up and, and it's obviously trauma, mm-hmm. you know, after a natural disaster. And so, um, you know, these are just some of the ways that we've been able to use that, you know, philanthropy cap. And I think it's something that I want to develop more. It's not an official 5013C, which is, you know, the official nonprofit cap. And I think that eventually that's going to be a bigger and bigger part of my work. A lot of the work that I've done, you know, we we take not one dollar. We didn't take a dollar of the work mm-hmm. that we did for for Puerto Rico. We bought the plane ticket and that was it. Um, everything else, everything went to the people that needed it. And so eventually, as I think I, I deepen my impact in the world, one of the biggest things is, you know, how we give back. I always give back, but officially making it a 5013C and really allowing ourselves to, for people to give money and know where it's going and have, Mm -hmm. you know, just very open, visible practices so that people can see, I think was really important part of the process. And, and, you know, we don't know a lot of times we don't, we feel helpless and I want to help people to know that there are real ways and there are, there's always ways we can help, whether it's with time or money, we can always help. Absolutely. I love that. And I just, I've I've loved this conversation because you so clearly are a woman who has worked hard and tirelessly, it sounds like, on learning how to trust yourself and really lean into your biggest self. And thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. Yeah, my pleasure. Everyone, all of the links, including Christine's website, as well as her nonprofit are in the show notes. So head on over there. And I am also so grateful for your time. I know how precious it is. And I thank you every week for being here. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.
Oh, hey there. If you're still listening to this podcast, I know you are a very loyal listener. First and foremost, I want to say thank you. And second, I want to let you know about Patreon. Many of you are already pledges over there on Patreon. And what that means is that I'm giving everyone an opportunity to support the podcast for as little as a dollar per episode. If you head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL, you can read about the three different tiers that I offer and all of the amazing perks that come along with it. With the $16 a month pledge, you can get your own unique personal development questions answered on listener Q&A episodes. I do monthly Ask Me Anything videos there in Patreon where you can ask me anything. I also take suggestions from my patrons on topics to cover or experts that they would love to see on the show. So again, head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL.